Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park When I was two years old, when I was dedicated to the cause of Lucifer, I was at that point a seven-generation wish. I was laying there, practically, and I had her hold me as if I was me. I couldn't talk, I couldn't open my eyes, I, I believe my eyes were rolling back in my head. There was evidence of human sacrifice on this fight. One of my first questions I asked was, God, is there evidence time that I hear that uh, L.A. Marzulli say that it's hardcore physical evidence, not delusionary. I know it's time for us <laughs> to come on in and start talking, although sometimes I don't ever really know what exactly it is to say. <laughs> Maybe I should be like Jeff on Leisure Hour and say, hey, babe, like he always does. Hey, you know, he, uh, he, he always fills me with such like joy whenever I listen to that show. Yeah, you know? he's he's such a positive old man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What, what what was it that he said? Was it like like you're sitting there, you're uh, going over your regrets and your failed relationships, <laughs> neglecting your family, hiding yeah. in a closet? Yeah, I'm like I'm like this this is a comedy show, right? I mean, <laughs> like I don't know, I'm I'm kind of depressed here. <laughs> but anyway, uh, here we are again, guys. Another episode of Conspiracy Normal and. Uh, Kind of had a weird day. We recorded an, an interview earlier that uh, we're actually going to put out next week because I wanted to get uh, the Joshua Cutchin show out because I feel like that's a that's a really good going to be a really good one to to put out. Uh, we talked to uh, Mark Wyatt uh, about his experiences, so we're going to have that one come out next week. So we're going to take a little bit break, bit of a break because I'm all excited about the premiere of uh, Game of Thrones. Of which, uh, Rob, you're kind of odd, man, because you've actually read the books but never watched the show. Well, I've read I've read all the books twice because twice there was all these rumors. There's like a thousand books, like <laughs> like a thousand pages, like each, right? Yeah. Well, there was this rumor this past winter that the the new book was going to be released before the new season, 
So I was like, okay, I got to get yeah. refreshed. And so I reread them. And here we are now, another half a year later, and no new books. So, didn't he say that he was going to put out like a, out a fifteen page book, or he was going to let like some nerd write it or something, write the next book for George Martin? That. Didn't he make some kind of statement like that? Uh, I hope not. Yeah, uh, he just keeps putting it on, putting it off, and putting it off. And now I think the show is actually like caught up to the book. It has. Yeah. So whatever this, is going to come episode. in the show. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that that's it. Because you were telling me, spoiler alert here, if anybody hasn't seen it, you were telling me that Jon Snow is dead at the end of the last book. Mm-hmm. So I guess that they've kind of caught up to the to the books. But I think like the books will now be, uh, they'll be canon, but the show won't be. So that's weird to me yeah. how that's going to work. Well, he, he said they're going to also diverge a lot more from this point. Yeah. Um, he's kind of treating them as different projects and, and whatever. So that's cool. I'm, I'm definitely still going to read the book when it comes out, even if I watch the show. But yeah, for sure. I'm going to have to start watching the show because. But, uh, we, you know, we won't be here, but uh, you will have a show. So we'll be just like, we'll be here. Strange how that works out. Yeah, it's like time travel. <laughs> I wanted to kind of unpack something a little bit. And that is, we talked about it on the last show. And that is the transgender bathroom debate. That seems to be the biggest thing right now that everybody's talking about on Facebook, other kinds of social media. You see a lot of it. And uh, this whole idea of who gets to use what bathroom. So I want to play this clip. Uh, This is actually from Facebook. Uh, This is from... I think it's called like something like Highways and Hedges Ministries. But I think this gives a good idea of what just is kind of out there on the zeitgeist of social media right now. And from, of course, a very, I think, one point of view on this whole debate. So, Rob, let's uh, let's listen to that real quick. And at the time, I just saw a thing on uh, social media about how New York now has transgender bathrooms. And it's crazy because on the doors, they got a little picture of a man and a woman. And it says anybody can use this restroom, no matter their gender or whatever the case. Let me tell you something. You know, I believe that's coming to uh, a lot of the United States of America. But make no mistake about it. If I catch a man in a bathroom, my girl, it's going to be a problem. And you know what? I think that's even more reason why we should stand up for our Second Amendment. Because there's going to be a bunch of perverts using this thing to go into bathrooms, peek at little girls. And you know what? Even perverts that are peeking at little boys, man. This is crazy. What are we doing to ourselves inside the United States of America? Transgender bathrooms. You know, we opened this can of worms when we, when the, not me, but the majority said, okay, it's all right for homosexuality and gay marriage and all this stuff. You guys are a bunch of daggum silly people. You don't realize what you're doing. You're giving perverts. You're giving pedophiles a ticket to go into your kid's bathroom, into your wife's bathroom, your son, your daughter, peek in the stall and look at your kid with no problem whatsoever. We're allowing this crap into the United States of America. You know what? We need to grow up and wake up. Do we not realize that this this country needs Jesus more than anything in the world? Transgender bathrooms? Get real. 
You know what? Somebody needs to take a stand and say, you know what? I catch somebody in the bathroom with my little girl or my little boy. There's going to be a problem because I'm a daddy. I got four kids, man. If I catch a grown man in the bathroom with my little girl, there's going to be a dog fight. I get and maybe worse. And you know what? I don't care if this offends people or not because somebody's got to stand up and have a backbone. I guarantee you this. There will never be a man-woman sticker on my bathroom. I'll tear the bathrooms down and burn the ground before I allow a bunch of perverts in the bathrooms of our churches. This is absolutely absurd. We need to do something about this. Share this video if you care. This nation needs Jesus and it needs a backbone. That's right. Jesus in the backbone. <laughs> and now, obviously, that's very... Uh, Obviously, that's very biased. Okay, that's obviously one point of view. And, but there's some of the stuff that I don't necessarily disagree with. I think that there's a possibility here that this is being kind of, this is like a bridge too far for a lot of people. Okay. Like there are people that don't want to have uh, transgender people in the same bathroom because they think that it's a guy that's going to come in there and use that as an excuse, basically, to peep on women, whatever. Uh, now, I want to read this story again. I would say this is from Breitbart. So, yeah, leans to the right, <laughs> obviously. This is California man dressed as woman busted for videoing in ladies' bathroom. A Palmdale, California man wearing women's clothing was arrested in a Lancaster Macy's store after he was seen in a woman's bathroom. The man was allegedly videotaping women. Jason Pomer, 33, was arrested over the weekend after mall security officers learned he had been hanging out in a Macy's department store women's bathroom. The security guards contacted a Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department deputy who found the cross-dressing man in a mall storage area, NBC Los Angeles reported. When Pomar was contacted, he was wearing a wig and women's clothing, including a bra, a statement from the LS LASD revealed. The deputy noticed he was wearing a wig and appeared to have breasts, LS LASD Sergeant Brian Hudson told the Los Angeles news outlet. While searching the suspect, the deputy discovered a video camera in his purse. The camera allegedly contained hours of women using the bathroom inside the store. Witnesses told police that Pomer would conceal the camera in bathroom stalls. The woman who contacted store security noticed the recording light on the camera. It appears Pomar was in the bathroom for around two hours, Hudson told the reporter. Okay. The rest of it I'm not going to read because it just kind of pontificates from there. But that's the basic. It is a real story, by the way. I know that there's a lot of fake news stories out there. But this one is real. The, it, the basic facts of it are real that this guy went into, went into this bathroom. So let's get your thoughts on that, Rob. <laughs> well, uh, this issue, I don't know. Um, I like to think that I'm a fairly liberal person most of the time, but as a father with daughters, I do see that fear. And, and that's not enough to like completely yeah. turn me away from, from the idea, but it's just, it's tough for me, you know? Yeah. And definitely, as you said, like a father and I, with daughters. And, and that's do, where that guy on the clip is coming from too. Right. You know? 
Yeah, I don't know about his Second Amendment stuff. How that even right, walks, he's, he's it comes lot, into he's, it, yeah, right? He's, he's definitely a lot angrier. But he's him. emotional, and it's an emotional. Yeah. It's a it's an emotional issue with a lot of people, right? You know, it, it's like it's like okay, fairness. We can we can be fair, well, but and, like and something it, like that. And the the um the anyone can use this bathroom thing. Like I think that's a great idea. I think that's a great way to handle it. Um, but the being able to just choose whatever bathroom you want to go into. It's like why have I have any gender specific bathrooms whatsoever. Yeah. Well, I think the people, I think people are, are, are not going to accept it. I think most people are not going to accept that. And it's, it's kind of like what you're seeing now is this, this backlash against it. It's like, I feel like the gay, lesbian, transgender community, almost like they've just gone, this is like one bridge too far. It's too far in this direction. And people are not people are not going to accept it. Now, that being said, I do think that well, first of all, as I said before, we were talking earlier, this is a pretty first world problem. Hmm. Right? I mean, yeah. is, this is what we're arguing about in this country right now is about who can use the bathroom. This is what, this is what we're concerned about with everything else that, you know, with everything else that is going on, we're concerned about this. Okay. And look, I get the whole thing of the gay marriage as a civil right, you know, as a Christian, I don't necessarily agree with it, but I don't have to. Because as long as the church doesn't have to do anything, as long as they don't have to, they don't have to be forced to marry a homosexual couple. I'm fine with it. State can do what it wants in this respect. Okay. But the other, the other thing that the state is doing, and this was the other point was, I don't know who started this. Was this the, um, and Luke says he's on his way, by the way. Oh, good. And who started it? Was it the transgender people that were pushing this for this for, for equal rights in the bathroom? Or was it the state legislatures, the conservative, right-wing, evangelical state legislatures that are pushing this to, A, remain relevant, and B, to tell their constituents and their base, look what we did for you last time. It's kind of like, you know, our, our Tennessee legislature has got similar stuff that North Carolina has. Okay. Another aspect of this too, are the uh, celebrities that say that they're not going to do anything in these States. Like Bruce Springsteen, Bruce Springsteen declared he wasn't going to uh, perform in North Carolina because he didn't agree with, this uh, ruling or this law the North Carolina legislature was trying to pass. Okay. And I've seen some memes on Facebook. And again, memes are not a perfect thing because I don't like them because they kind of put things down into one issue and one simplistic way. And it's not always simple, but isn't that the same as Bruce Springsteen saying he's not going to play. Isn't that the same as the, the, uh, the supposed hypothetical baker um, refusing to give a refusing to bake a cake for a gay couple for their wedding. Pretty much identical. Yeah. Pretty much. And there we go again. It's like 
oh, you're wrong. But if I do the same thing, we're right. There it is. And it, it, it just, you, you can see the, you can see the kind of like this, that, that old political hypocrisy happening yet again with this. And then I think that's, I think that's my point as well as, Hey dude, maybe they should back off a little bit off of this. And I'm talking about the, the gay rights people and the transgender people, because it's like, are we really going to do too much too soon? It's like, we just got done with gay marriage that took forever. And now we're going to do this. So the truth is though, at the same time, and here's another way of looking at it. This kind of stuff could probably happen anyway. Somebody could walk into a, somebody, somebody dressed in women's clothing could walk into a place in Tennessee, a women's restroom and do it anyway. And the thing is, at that point, it's a crime. It's a crime anyway to to film somebody using the bathroom. Right. And so that's for the police and for the courts to take care of that. Another thing I love also here in Tennessee, in Nashville, was the uh, uh, one of the guys that was pushing one of the bills here. They've actually had to section him off to another building because he was sexually harassing women. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> We get this all the time, right? We get all these moralists that like to come out and say, oh, you know, you shouldn't do this, but hey, I can get away with it. Dennis Haster, the former Dennis Haster, the former uh, House uh, Speaker, has ju- just came out in the last few days that he paid three and a half million dollars to some boy that he had sexually molested back in the 70s or in the 80s. At some point. Okay. And he was pretty big on, he was one of the guys with Newt Gingrich was pretty big on, uh, uh, you know, putting Clinton, impeaching Clinton because he got a blow job in the Oval Office. Yeah. Yeah. He was sexually, he was sexually molested. Well, one of them. House longest running house speaker, one of the longest in in the, in the history of the United States and Republican. And it's always the Republicans, man, because nobody cares when the Democrats do it because (laughs) you know why nobody cares when the Democrats do it, except for maybe Mr. Wiener showing his wiener back a few years ago, which was just kind of celebrity gossip. Right. You know why they don't care what the Democrats do it? Because Democrats aren't sitting there trying to legislate morality. Yeah. And as a libertarian, you don't legislate morality. That's what I believe. Yep. So, all right. Well, like I said before, Lucas brought his way whenever that was going to (laughs) happen. So uh, let's call it right here. And uh, guys, we're going to, we're going to talk to Joshua Cutchin about his book, A Trojan Feast. And this is about food offerings made by fairies aliens and Bigfoot and also offerings being made to them as well. This is going to be some interesting stuff. This is an amazing book that I just read from him. So let's uh, go to him and we will be right back on Conspiranormal. Buckle up for adventures, strap on your thinking gear and prepare yourself to be inspired. 
The fourth annual Paradigm Symposium is coming again to Minneapolis, Minnesota on May 12th through the 15th. An eclectic cast of presenters, including Scott Walter from History Channel's America Unearthed, Randall Carlson of Sacred Geometry International, historian and ufologist Rich Dolan, conspiracy, cryptozoology, and UFO writer Nick Redfern, and keynote hermeticist Lon Milo Duquette, as well as several other researchers and pundits in the fields of the academic the weird and the unknown with topics that range from archaeology and hidden history to alternative science, ancient aliens, paleo contact and world mysteries. Tickets are now on sale at the website to see all the details for this amazing event and symposium and to get your tickets now go to ParadigmSymposium.com Come to learn, leave inspired. All right, guys, we're back. And on the line, we have uh, Mr. Joshua Cutchin. And he has written a book, as I mentioned before, called A Trojan Feast. And what's the full title of that, Joshua? Because it has like a subtitle. Yeah, it's A Trojan Feast, the food and drink offerings of aliens, fairies, and Sasquatch, uh, <laughs> which is understand why it's important it's it's kind of a mouthful (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean that's something that like i mean that's not a title that would just ultimately grab you yeah (laughs) the first time i heard you i heard you on uh where did the road go i know Mm -hmm. you did a interview on the the grayling report with our good friend micah hanks as well and when i first uh saw like kind of the uh the topic i was kind of like man how how interesting is that going to be? I was kind of dubious, but when I started listening to the show, I, I got really into it and I was just like, this is absolutely fascinating. This stuff. Yeah. And, Mike, and it, Micah was, Micah was the uh, mama bird that pushed me out of the nest on this. So oh, I have yeah. a lot to thank him for. Oh yeah. Well, Micah's a good friend of ours as well. So, uh, you know, it's an interesting topic and it seems so uh, almost mundane and obscure. So how did you get into the the whole idea of exploring this subject? Well, you know, it's, I I think I'd like to think that's sort of my credo moving forward as I continue to work on these subjects is, is to look at the things that people have deemed mundane or unimportant, because I think we've spent so much time trying to uncover the, uh, the big picture that we've really lost a, a lot of these little details and sort of thrown them to the side. And I think that maybe within that, we might get some greater insight. Um, this particular project has always sort of been in the back of my head. You know, it's whenever you hear, uh, whenever you talk to an artist and they always talk about their first album is represents a lifetime of work, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, and this is sort of something that, uh, had, had been in my head for a long time. Uh, this idea of the fairy taboo, which I always thought was sort of strange. Um, I had always had an interest in how, um, how the fairy lore and alien abductee lore, uh, tend to really sort of uh, the lines between those two tend to blur. Uh, short entities, lights in the sky, um, missing time, uh, a reproductive interest in human beings. All these things are, mm-hmm. are indicative in both subjects. And I was always familiar with this uh, this uh, food taboo in fairy lore that if you were to take food from the fey folk, you would be trapped with them forever. And I said, well, it's interesting. There are all these different things that really map onto each other really well. Does that map on with other phenomena as well? And so I always sort of had that in the back of my head. And I was aware that, you know, abductees were given food and drink from time to time. And it seemed like 
probably wasn't a good idea to take <laughs> take food from a from a gray alien. But my real I mean, life. Why would you take food from anybody that you really didn't know anyway, right? Yeah, I mean, well, that's, that's kind of like thing. that yeah. was the question I kept asking myself in the in in the book. You know, that's like <laughs> yeah, the first exactly. thing my parents taught me. That's, yeah, that's, that's totally right, different. right. And well, I think I think that speaks to the uh, to the state of mind of people in these particular encounters, which I think in turn speaks to the possibility of altered states in these encounters. But uh, my light bulb moment for this was when I read that a lot of First Nations people, uh, tribes on uh, the upper Pacific Northwest, so the far-reaching Pacific Northwest, the Alaska coast, um, believed that if you were to take food from the Bookwuss, which was their sort of version of the Sasquatch, you would be trapped with the Bookwuss forever and and condemned to stay with them forever. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, just sort of made me get sit up and go, wait a minute, what's behind this? And if you really sort of peel back the layers to this, a lot of anthropologists will say that this has its roots in the Persephone myth, um, that uh, Persephone was taken into Hades, uh, taken into the underworld rather by Hades and was about to be released, but ate a pomegranate that Hades had given her that trapped her in the underworld. Uh, and that, from there, the the myth sort of diffused throughout Eurasia. But you see this in the you know the Pacific Islands. You see it in uh, South American cultures. You see it in North American cultures. And look, I'm I'm as much a fan of diffusionism as anybody. But it seems a little bit too on the nose to have that one particular uh, trope spread throughout so many different varied folklores. Yes, it does. And also, we uh, we just had a, f- a fairy folk just walk in the door. It's more kind of like a little gnome or a pixie. Call, and that would be our in. co-host, Luke. <laughs> <laughs> he more looks like the god Pan, actually, Joshua. So if you just... <laughs> Kind of like you know, uh, I can, envision I can Pan as a middle as a metalhead. Then you so, got like so more of a man. <laughs> Pan was a metalhead, dude. I bet he played a brutal flute. <laughs> Pan flute. <laughs> but as you were saying, Joshua, I'm sorry. Um, uh, no, no. So, so t- t- to me, that was really sort of the red flag that perhaps there might be something uh, deeper to this, and there might be uh, a, 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 there might be something that would really be a rewarding if one were to look further into this. And so from there, you go out into all sorts of different directions, and it's like, you know, it's it's like dropping a a, a penny into a into a pond. Like there, there are ripples out from that one idea that you sort of have to address as you get farther and farther out from this subject. So there really isn't ever an elevator pitch for this book. It's always you know, you tell you tell people, and they're like, "Oh, so it's about what aliens eat, and it's about what Bigfoot eats." No, it's not at all. It's a super specific niche idea, the idea of these others giving food to their their uh, their captives, um, which actually does happen with some frequency, if if the stories are to be believed. So let's talk about some of the fairy myths uh, regarding food, and what uh, what happens there. Because I really want to kind of focus on that and also the Sasquatch myths because the, the alien stuff, you know, like you, as you said, it almost falls in line into the same kind of common tropes, the same kind of common stories and archetypes. So what usually happens in these fairy stories as far as food with food? Well, typically, the typical scenario is that someone is coming home on one lonely night and they see a a party in one of these fairy mounds, these underground fairy mounds. They poke their head in and they actually uh, see a, a giant banquet and they're hospitably asked to join. 
But while there, they'll usually see someone who is uh, often uh, someone that they recognize as being a, a dead acquaintance who will say, don't eat or drink anything here or else you'll be forced to stay with them forever. Um, of course, you know, the uh, the irony behind these stories is that we don't have any stories from anybody who ate or drank because they would have stayed there forever in theory. <laughs> um, but uh, that's that's generally the scenario. Uh, sometimes you'll find uh, uh, food left in, in, in recompense for a service that was offered. You know, one of the big things about fairies is that uh, you could leave them uh, sort of like protection money so that they wouldn't disturb your house and you'd leave them food overnight. And uh, sometimes you could actually in- ask them for help and in exchange you'd leave them food or if you were to help them, uh, they would actually leave you food. There's this t- folktale of uh, the fairy ped, the fairy uh, plow, where an individual uh, was came upon a fairy plow, a tiny little fairy plow that was left out uh, in the field and he actually mended it and he actually was able to find a small little uh, loaf of fairy bread there. What's interesting about the fairy pet uh, folktale is that uh, his uh, companion, I believe, was the one who ate that bread and suffered no ill effects. So it really does seem to be tied in with intent and a lot of fairy folklore and also with where it's consumed. Um, a lot of times uh, p- people have to be consuming sort of on, on the fairy's terms, as it were. Uh, and a lot of these are mem- mirrored in, in Sasquatch lore. Um, it's not quite as robust a tradition in terms of in terms of how widespread the belief is. But uh, in Sasquatch lore, you would find that there were warnings that if you were to eat, you wouldn't be able to return home. Uh, another interesting thing about this is is we should really be careful how we parse out how these cultures interpreted uh, you'll be trapped with them forever. Um, perhaps it's more of a metaphorical trapping. You can't return home. You can't return to the way that you once were. Sure. Um, so there are, a lot of different, there are a lot of different lenses that you have to look at it through. Through, but that's that's sort of the basic thumbnail sketch. Um, in other in other cultures, you'll find similar beliefs. Um, there's a Japanese legend where a goddess died and ate food in the afterlife and wasn't able to return to the world of of the gods, but she was trapped in the underworld. Um, there was another. There's a, a Finnish folktale where the hero is given a tankard of beer in the underworld and refuses it because he knows he'll stay there. Um, and I believe it's uh, Pacific, uh, South Pacific Islands. You can actually go visit your dead lover, but if you're there, don't eat any of the food, or you'll, or you'll be trapped on the other side as well. So it's a widespread belief, always with this this idea. Idea that if you go there, you'll stay there. If you if you eat any of their food, hmm. and how's some of this uh, similar to what we would term alien abduction or alien contact experiences? Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, uh, the 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 quote that I always trot out uh, on an old UFO updates list, where uh, uh, seems as Nick Pope actually said that uh, food and drink feature in contactee reports, but not in abductee reports. But really, if you look at if you look at a if, a, if you look at the literature, literature, it's definitely a minor motif of being given food and drink. But even beyond that, if you look at the way that the ET phenomena continually changes with the times, you can argue very easily that any sort of ointment or an injection is sort of a variation on the similar idea. So idea rather. Um, obviously, there is no real food taboo um, in in alien lore because there isn't really any sort of standardized <laughs> standardized alien lore. Um, there was an interesting case, according to a Russian newspaper from September 1990, of a young man who uh, saw a tall stranger with gray skin and clear blue eyes who uh, took him into a spaceship and he was shown a review of his life on a screen and then they took him to his homeworld, which is sort of something that you run to a lot of these contact D cases, these positive uh, 
positive contact T cases, you'll have them taken off and spirited away to a different yeah, planet. Yeah, the, the George Damsky type. Exactly. You know, contact T. And uh, while there, this young man, this young Russian man, uh, was was marveling at their diet of, of of milk and vegetables. And when he asked to try some, he was told that he couldn't eat any because if he did, it would influence him and force him to stay on their world. So that's probably the most explicit case that I found. But again, if you look at it through this 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 lens of what does never return home, never go back mean? Does it mean that you're going to be a lifelong abductee if you consume it? Does it mean that you can't return to the uh, to the blissful ways of ignorance that you had you know experienced before? Um, I think it's all sort of there's some metaphor there and and that's sort of backed up by some uh, particular fairy lore as well. If you want to look for a parallel, Uh, even though the generally the general uh, concept was that if you ate or drank food offered from the fairy folks, you would stay with them. Uh, in their fairyland, uh, that wasn't always the case. The El maids of Scandinavia and Germany would would uh, offer roadside travelers to drink their wine, and if they drank it, they would be driven insane. Which again, you could see sort of as a as a variation on this idea of being changed forever by what you've consumed. Wasn't there a story in the book? And this is kind of go into our discussion on liquids. But wasn't there a story of one of those that uh, the fairy? woman that would get came up God, it may have been it may have even been an alien encounter uh if i'm remembering this correctly but she came up and offered to have this offered this guy to suckle at her breast was this was this one of the fairy i found that that was a fascinating story yeah, that's that's an interesting one as well. Uh, there was a a, a, a scan. I believe it was a number, another Scandinavian tale. Uh, you wind up with Scandinavia and the Celtic, uh, the Celtic cultures having the strongest and most robust fairy lore in, in this regard. But I believe it was a Scandinavian tale of a young cow a cowhand who was uh, who saw this sexy fairy lady. And for anyone who, who's <laughs> listening who doesn't really know about fairies, they're not always tiny. Fairies could be a vast array of shapes and sizes, including people that just looked like people. Right. Uh, it could be what we think of as pixies like Tinkerbell, but it could also be, you know, even the wood woes is the Celtic uh, is one of the Celtic fairies, which was like a Sasquatch. So it's a, it's a broad spectrum. So he wasn't suckling at this tiny little teat. It was, <laughs> it was a regular person. Uh, said teat now more than I have in the past week. That's for sure. Um, but she was, uh, she was, she was enticing him to come suckle at her breast. And allegedly uh, he stayed there for, uh, for, I think it was, a couple of weeks. Um, and, uh, after he was able to pulled away eventually by some people, he claimed to have a foggy memory of the entire ordeal, just little bits and pieces. He couldn't remember what happened after he started. Sucking. Man, I mean, what, um, what an ordeal. I mean, poor guy, it, poor guy. It, it, um, it's a yeah. good thing. I didn't live in the fairy days. I would be dead so quick. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting to me uh, talk, talking about speaking of poor guys. I mean, there are plenty of tales and, you know, uh, the, the book isn't comprehensive. It's as close as I, I, I feel like I could get. But uh, there are plenty of stories of people who are abducted by female Sasquatch and she plops out her big old hairy boob and says, take a drink. So yeah, there, there's, uh, that, that's a, that's a little bit more unpleasant, I suppose. <laughs> there's a lot of sexuality, sexually themed stuff in the book. Really? Oh, I mean, just, yeah, I mean, no, that's, that's another element that that's definitely in there. Yeah. And that's, there's that moment when you're deciding to write something like this, where you're like, Oh, do I really want to write this and put my name on it about, <laughs> you know, with all this, this sexual, but if you, but if you're being intellectually honest, you have to address these things because all of these phenomena 
um, not only, you know, fairies and aliens and Sasquatch, but also, uh, spirit phenomena, sleep paralysis, all of these things have this sort of obs- creepy obsession with our reproduction. And, uh, you, you've, you've, you've got to address it because it's, it's a, it's a, it's, it's an aspect of the phenomena and it's a through line that runs throughout all of it. So you have to sort of look at food consumption through that, you know, the idea of the idea of taking food from something can kind of be sensual. You know, we use a lot of sensual metaphors when we talk about, uh, when we talk about food sometimes or rather vice versa, you know, I could just eat you up. We compare right. our lovers, we compare our lovers features to fruit or something sometimes. Right. Um, so it's, it's sort of this big ball of wax that you sort of got to talk about because, uh, there, there really is a, there really is a, a sexual component to all this. And I want to get back to that in a little bit, but I want to, let's talk about, uh, let's talk about liquids because you, you divided the book into, of course, you start talking about liquids and then we go into food and you go into kind of like the, the types of food. What are some of the lick, the stories that, that involve liquid and how is that given to people? And also what's, is there a, is there a broader meaning to that possibly? Well, you know, there's a, uh, there's sort of a thumbnail sketch, which I provide to people whenever they talk about uh, encounter alleged encounters with extraterrestrials. Um, it's that you have uh, the abductee experience is negative uh, and involuntary, and the ab- and the contactee experience is positive and voluntary. And uh, particularly, and let me put the caveat abs- here that, and I know I've listened to you many times, and I know that you do, you are not an advocate as we are, not an advocate of the extraterrestrial hypothesis. Oh yeah, I, I'm I'm. I mean, I, I like, I'd like to think that I'm remain open to open to it, but I'm, yeah. I'm pretty much anti ET at this point and I'm not necessarily pro spiritual. I, I don't really know what the hell's going on. <laughs> so, but yes, thank gotcha. you. Thank you for throwing that in there. Gotcha. Uh, yeah. So, um, so yeah, th- feel free to, you know, edit allegedly in front of everything that I said. <laughs> it's just easier for me to proceed as, as if everything's true. But, uh, yeah, I remain very, very dubious on a lot of this. Um, uh, so what's interesting is if you look at that, that sort of, that sort of vague, uh, thumbnail sketch, that sort of rule of thumb, uh, abductee, involuntary, negative contactee, voluntary, positive, a lot of the ways that these things are consumed when people are given liquids fall into those camps. Um, in fey folklore, uh, liquid was one of the most common things to be given, uh, often, uh, wines or ales or, or, uh, or even milks as well. Um, Sasquatch Lord's a little bit less common. You sort of, it was, as you go through the book, Sasquatch sort of distances himself farther and farther, uh, from, from the, uh, from the entire equation. Um, but uh, a, a lot of the similarities between uh, fey folklore and alien folklore still hold true. Uh, far and away, uh, in these two categories, liquids are the most commonly administered uh, consumable. Um, they generally fall into the categories of uh, juice, milk, and uh, sometimes alcohol. Um, that's more common in in fairy encounters than it is in alien encounters. Um, People usually don't say it tasted like booze. They usually say it tasted like some sort of fruit juice or something. Um, hmm. In keeping with the abductee contactee uh, motif, abductees tend to be given forcibly unpleasant liquids. So that usually means um, like a tube down the throat being given something that's either bitter or cloyingly sweet or something along those lines. 
Um, contactees, on the other hand, are given are be, are offered some sort of enlightening beverage that usually tastes fruity or fizzy. I'm thinking of specifically like Orfeo Angelucci's uh, nectar that he was given on several occasions, um, and it's it's an overall overwhelmingly positive experience. Um, to to talk about what that could possibly mean, I think might be a it might be a little bit beyond our, our realms of discussion right now because you'd sort of have to get into some ideas of of uh, Jungian archetypes and how there's this idea of this concept of liquidity and and this idea of, of liminality but we, I mean, we can we can go there if you want to or we can just sort of table that for for later or or whatever well is there a brief thumbnail sketch we can get on that <laughs> okay. I, I don't know if, the, if it's if it's the, if it's gonna be like more like two hours and maybe not but well <laughs> I, 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 th- I think what i would sort of tease out and this isn't like one yeah. of those guys is like buy the book and find out i just i just it, it's it's a rabbit hole that i just uh, we probably need another three hours to get through right um, yeah if you look at where the book eventually takes us is into concepts of entheogens uh, which are in in shamanic cultures, uh, this idea of substances that release the inner god, and a lot of these have been given by the gods to the people. So, in some sense, they are one of the most concrete and available examples of this scenario that we can examine: food from the other. Um, in some of these traditions, uh, not only is uh, is it uh, from the other, it is the other. I was thinking specifically about ayahuasca and South American shamanic ceremonies, which is uh, by certain tribes in the Amazon River Basin considered to be at once drink, uh, plant, and a god. So what do we make of the fact that there's this great uh, worldwide tradition that sort of uh, talks about liquidity uh, being divine and people accepting far and away in alien and fairy stories liquid from these other beings. Uh, does that mean that there's some sort of communion taking place in the uh, not only in the in the uh, Christian but also in the uh, Streberian sort of sense of the word? Yeah. So the, so things that are like you know the the communion wine. Uh, exactly. know, blood of my blood, the, the blood is the wine and, and, and that kind of idea. I actually was wanting to get into that a little bit later as far as uh, the, the entheogens and, and what that all means. Yeah. I sort of jumped the gun there a little bit. Sorry. Oh, no, <laughs> Sorry it's, it's no problem. I mean, um, I mean that's something we could, we could discuss, discuss now. I mean, since we are talking about, about liquids and what, and what this, this all means uh, as far as, what this influence could be. Uh, now, you know, this is something we've talked about a lot about on this show, Joshua. We've talked a lot about uh, ayahuasca. Uh, we had someone on that was an ayahuasca experiencer. And for me, that was a big deal in almost thoroughly discounting the extraterrestrial hypothesis for me. Because if right. people are, and I've said this many times, if people are seeing these figures, the same figures that are in alien contact or in alien abduction experiences, if they're seeing this under ayahuasca and they are clearly in the jungle with this shaman in this ritual doing this, then there, there has to be something more to just a nuts and bolts spacecraft. That's, that exactly. takes you away. And it was it was fascinating in that you eventually do link a lot of this stuff with entheogens, with the uh, 
altered states of consciousness experience. Because uh, be, to be honest, I, I really wasn't expecting that out, out of the book. Uh, yeah. Because I thought it, it was more of a list of, of what was going on. But you do try to kind of explain it in, in that light. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 it's uh, one of those ripples that sort of, that sort of comes out from that, uh, that, that you sort of had to talk about. Because there are these similarities. And I feel, like if you're, I feel like if you're being intellectually honest, you have to admit that there are similarities between the altered, between altered states and whatever we're experiencing. Now, I don't know if that means that altered states allow these entities a means to communicate with us. I don't know if it means that uh, that these are flesh and blood entities that put people into altered states. I just know that there's yeah. the Venn diagrams touch there somewhere. You know, I know that people tend to be abducted. Not always, I know, so don't anybody write in. But people tend to be abducted when they're asleep or when they're driving. Both are altered states. People can get into a sense of highway hypnosis. Um, I know that people see Sasquatch and they say, boy, it felt like I was staring at it for 15 minutes, but I know it was only 30 seconds. Yeah. That's similar. You know, people go into people go into altered states and they say, I feel like it was there forever. I was there for, you know, you know, five minutes, something like DMT. Um, so again, I just, I don't know if this is all this, I don't know exactly what this means. I just know that there is some sort of connection there. Now, of course the, the thing that it's funny, you write a book like this and, and people, it's always fun to see what people write, walk away with that you made pains to say wasn't the case. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember one, at one point, like someone, someone that I admire a lot was like, Cutchin speculates that the foods that these entities offer might be entheogens. And that's, holy cow. No, not, not the case. Right. Um, because if you see entities while taking entheogens, how does an ent- entity offer you an entheogen? You know, it's sort of a chicken egg sort of uh, situation. Um, but I knew that I had to really sort of bring up these subjects when you see uh, when you see people like Graham Hancock going into an ayahuasca session and being offered food in that altered state and saying, whoa, I shouldn't take it because Graham being a well-learned guy, uh, (laughs) being a well-learned guy, remember the Persephone myth and remember this fairy folklore. So uh, I think that's interesting. You know, one, one case that I I talked about in the book was a guy who uh, from Ireland who was a very avid uh, ayahuasca guy. He goes down there, I think, I believe on an annual basis uh, to Peru uh, for sort of a, uh, sort of self maintenance, and he mentioned that he was he was having his experience outside the hut. The shaman was inside the hut, and he saw this little. And he says, "I would call it a leprechaun because I'm an Irish man." He walked up beside me and he said, "Come have a drink with us." Um, and the, the uh, this the stairwell appears in the ground, and he's following this this little leprechaun into the ground. He says, and he hears a party, and he's going to go have a drink, <laughs> and the supervising shaman freaks out. From inside the hut, runs out and pulls him back in, and uh, the uh, his his vision ends. So again, there's some there's something there. There's some sort of linkage there that's uh, that that's that a lot of people aren't addressing. Uh, I have a great deal of admire admiration for people who are uh, nuts and bolts ufologists, uh, but I don't think that they're acknowledging the whole picture. Similarly, I think that people who you know want to go the purely psychological route aren't acknowledging the whole picture either. Well, I. It could be a possibility that when you're in these altered states of consciousness and you're offered foodstuffs or you're offered liquid, that it could just be reflecting the other reality, which in that case would be this reality. And right. so it's like an as above, so below kind of concept. 
Totally but this agree. at the same, and maybe that liquid that you were given or that food that you were given in the altered states brings you back to this, to this con. I mean, it's just speculation. I think a lot of it is, but I, I found that interesting that it's like a, re- it, it could only just be a random reflection of the, both re- realities reflect each other in a way. Well, that's the thing is that you wind up, you wind up uh, looking into this one aspect and you, as, as you peel back the layers and you, you know, your interests grow and they develop and you, you know, you suddenly real, find yourself talking about stuff like hermeticism and as above, so below. And I think that there's, that's a big part of it. I think that you have to really have a good, a good working knowledge of a lot of things that you never thought you'd need to know to walk away from this as, as a well-rounded person. I'm still, I'm still working on getting up on it. I just now got into, into the alchemical side of things with my, with my latest project. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's totally something, uh, a good, a good friend of mine, um, Greg Bishop, who I admire to Helen back, um, is a big proponent of this concept of co-creation that whatever we see is, uh, is is in some sense uh, so alien, not in the you know extraterrestrial sense, but in the foreign sense, the other sense, that we have to sort of graft upon that that uh, that presence uh, constructs that we can recognize that we can deal with. So if something is wanting is wants it has some sort of desire to initiate a change in us the way that we probably project onto that would be to project it as, as some sort of food or drink. This isn't to say for anybody listening, this isn't to say that I don't think that there is some sort of objective component to the contrary. I do think that there is some sort of other intelligence that interacts with people uh, from, a, on, from time to time. What I think is that we, um, we, we tend to bring so, so much of ourselves into these experiences. And I think it's deliberate on the part of this intelligence uh, that it's really difficult to parse out uh, where, an objective reality begins and the subjective reality begins. Right. And I think I've, you know, when I had Soraya on the show, uh, we talked about the possibility that you, what you're seeing, it just could not be what you're actually experiencing. In other yeah. words, this idea that, that, that something comes to you, but you, you cannot possibly comprehend it. And so that your mind, your soul, whatever it is, creates this reality in order to comprehend it. So the food and the drink aspect of this could be part of that, that that's something that we know and our mind is just making that, that part. And when something else, when something else could actually be taking place. Yeah. I think that's a good argument to be, to be done for that. I mean, um, I, uh, I have, have sort of, uh, been looking into this idea a little bit more for my upcoming project. And uh, I saw some, uh, some research recently that suggested that as up, up to as much as, you know, I think a high percentage, 80 or 90%, I don't have the the document in front of me right now um, of what we see is, is just a construct Um, sort of like uh, almost like, I think this might be a good analogy. Somebody out there in IT is going to scream at me, but sort of like the idea of keyframe animation where just like one small thing changes versus the entire thing changing. So, you know, if we're looking at the, sky and we see a ufo fly in uh we're not really perceiving the entire sky because our attention is drawn to the ufo so we sort of build the construct of of what we're seeing around that new bit of data 
And if that's the case, then it means that we're sort of walking f- blind through a lot of things. And that seems like sort of a, a blind spot, uh, not to put too fine of a point on it, uh, that could possibly be exploited by some sort of intelligence if it has the means. Yeah. And, and I do believe that there are entities that are that are interacting with us and probably oh, yeah, at yeah, all times. And, and, and the high strangeness aspect of it uh, could just be – it's like something is coming through from another dimension or something is coming through from another realm and it just doesn't quite translate into this realm. So when you read these, these experiences or the people experiencing themselves relating this high strangeness, it just seems so damn weird because it's like you're trying to, to comprehend it in a way. Well, and you know, it's like um, whatever this is uses the, uses metaphor and symbolism as the currency of exchange. It really does. Yeah. Um, it's, it's trying to, it, I think it's, it, I think it's trying to communicate and it has to do so with theater. Uh, and I don't know why that's a choice, but I do know that um, art tends to elicit extreme emotions in people. So maybe that's, maybe that's part of it too. Another thing that uh, <laughs> drop his name again, Greg Bishop, who's on coast to coast tonight. Um, Greg Bishop uh, t- talks about Are you trying to advertise for him. Is that what's going on? I totally am. Cause I love the guy to death. I, I, I you know, I, I got to meet him. I got to meet him uh, two weeks ago and it was like, he was, he's like, in a lot of ways, he's like my valet. So, um, and I got to make an ass on myself. It was great. Um, <laughs> but uh this idea that, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe that's what UFOs are is that they're art. They're the art of the other. Uh, and, and part of their, their, their goal is to, uh, is to elicit an emotion in the witness, a powerful emotion. And that's why you see so many high, weird, bizarre, high, strange things. That's why you see these profound synchronicities as well. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and his latest book is called It Defies Language. Yes. So yes. there you go. I mean, you can't possibly put it into a language that that you can understand. And when it comes out, it just seems so bizarre that to to just defy belief in a way. Yeah, and so, so that's that's sort of the uh, the winding garden path that the book leads down is because you know, okay, yeah, let's do the survey. Let's talk about liquids. Let's talk about breads. Let's talk about you know uh, vegetables. Let's talk about all this stuff. But then, yeah, let's let's talk about how sleep paralysis feature. Uh, uh, features with food. Let's talk about how sexuality features with food. And let's, let's look at these sort of symbolic meanings to this. Not that it's all psycho psychology, but that maybe something is using psychology to talk to us. Yeah, let's, let's get into fruit because you kind of divide solid foods into fruits, breads, and miscellaneous. Right. And, uh, very interesting. The ties that you make, the first thing that I thought of with the whole fruit thing, of course, is the Garden of Eden story, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, and there's a lot of elements to these stories that are almost the same, that are almost the same way as if this is like fruit that will give you some kind of enlightenment in a way in some of these stories. Yes, I, and I think that again, that that that's another reason that I ended up bringing entheogens into the mix is because you know a lot of people have speculated that the forbidden fruit was a magic mushroom, you know this idea of this 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 uh, this fleshy this fleshy edible that gives you access to hidden realms, and I think that there I think that there's there's something to be said about that in terms of the greater uh, f- food taboo, uh, as it were, uh, mythos. Um, you look at that. You look at another interesting side side. Uh, 
another interesting addendum to that is that you look at the the Garden of Eden story, and you know it's it's a serpent. Well, not a lot, a lot of people have talked about reptilians and stuff like that, but also you know the 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 animal totem of ayahuasca is the serpent. Mother ayahuasca is generally depicted as a serpent as well. So it's yeah, that was complex, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, complex web that you sort of wind up with. Um, and uh, yeah, so and you find you find fruit uh, in you find fruit in Sasquatch stores again. Poor old Sasquatch. It seems like he's just stealing humans' food and bringing it to his captives <laughs> whenever he has a captive. He doesn't seem to be cultivating fruit in his backyard. Um, but especially in in fairy and uh, fairy and alien stories, you find fruit with great regularity. I mean, uh, Whitley Strieber had some uh, encounters with something that he either he either described as sort of a pomegranate flavor or a or a fig flavor, I believe. Um, uh, there's a great story from uh, from 1978 in Brazil where a guy uh, heard some. Uh, I'm sorry, it wasn't 1978. I'm sorry, this was um, Ludovico Granchi. This was uh, 1988. Yeah, 1988, still in Brazil. Um, and he heard some buzzing in the woods, and he went outside. And he was surrounded by these little green men who took him to a cave, laid him on a stone slab, and healed a leg wound that he had, and gave him a plum to eat. And apparently the plum was fine. He was able to come back. Um, but again, this idea of these little men who live in a, live in a hole underground, you know, that's, 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 that's a lot of, that's very similar to fairy lore. Um, probably yeah. my favorite story in the entire book is a story that involves uh, fruit as well. It's uh, from, uh, from uh, this book called traditions and hearthside stories of West Cornwall. It's the uh, fairy dwelling on Selena Moore. It was also a plum, just like in the last story. Uh, where a gentleman uh, was going to uh, a nearby inn to get to get some drinks, and he actually found found him. He was found fell, fall, Excuse me, <clears throat> he was found asleep in a barn uh, three days later, and he didn't remember anything really having 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 passed. But once he finally came to and sort of got a grip on what had happened, he became lost, and he remembered that he had sort of wandered into a banquet that he assumed was a fairy banquet, uh, and it was a tall, lithe woman who was supervising these small people feasting and dancing, and she said, "Stay there, I'm going to go get you some." ale and while he's there uh another woman comes by and grabs him and takes him behind the house and says listen whatever you do don't drink or eat anything here and he realizes that this is his old lover and she had died several years before and she explains to him no that wasn't me that was a changeling what had happened is i had wandered here like you and i had been very hungry and i'd ended up uh eating a plum from this orchard and i had to stay here forever and she said be sure that you notice that you be sure that you don't eat anything here because these are not people that you want to associate with their food is a sham it's just uh sticks and detritus and they aren't christians they're star worshipers so <laughs> what's great about this story? What does that mean? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So what's great about the story is that you have, you know, you have that star worshipers thing, which jumps out right. You right away. Um, you have this idea of this taller entity supervising these shorter entities, which you see in abduction lore all yes. the time. Yes. Um, and then of course this other little tidbit that uh, the food that they offer isn't real food. Now, if you look at uh, some of the aforementioned uh, native American lore regarding Sasquatch, the book was when he gives you food, it looks like dried salmon, but it's actually true tree bark. So there's this idea that whatever they give you isn't, isn't really food. It's something disguised to be food, which really, really is a red flag to me that whatever these entities in all three cases, aliens, fairies, and Sasquatch, whatever they're trying to do, it's not to sustain you. It's really, it's really being done to administer some sort of effect, um, really being done to sort of gain access in some way, like a Trojan feast as you, <laughs> as you were. There you um, go. Uh, yeah. That's the name of the book. Um, <laughs> but, but, um, 
Yeah, so I, I love that story because of the parallels that are there. Now, what happened in this particular story is he ended up uh, taking off his glove and turning it inside out, um, which apparently is a way to break a fairy spell. Uh, I think that I don't really know where that comes from. What I've read is that perhaps it's just this idea of, you know, uh, this idea of inversion, this idea of things being silly and topsy turvy, and that sort of tends to break the spell, sort of like creating your own high strangers, like taking care of the high strangers, taking uh, control rather of the high strangers. But anyway, I he mean, apparently turned his glove inside out and he woke up inside a barn, and that's when he uh, he realized what had happened. I mean, if it's that easy, you know, exactly. <laughs> right, so, to get away from the fairies, all you got to do yeah, is just. So if so if the grays, well, I mean, you know, I, actually, I just, I just thought of this, and I never really, I, I never really thought about it because I was going to joke if the grays take you, go ahead and turn your underwear inside out, but that's something that you <laughs> see, isn't it? You hear these stories about about abductees being returned and them having shoes on the wrong feet or yeah. uh, or, or or their clothes being inside out. That's interesting. I haven't really ever put that together before. Note yeah. to self, future reference. Hey, and it was all right here on Conspiracy Normal. Okay? It was. <laughs> <laughs> Here's an interesting one, okay? And let's talk about bread. And in particularly, this story, and I think you know where I'm going. Oh, yeah. Joe Simonton's pancakes. So if we're talking about, as you mentioned before, sometimes there is actual physical evidence. Well, here's a cake, a case where there actually is physical evidence okay. left behind. So what's up with the pancakes? Yep, it. Uh, and this is weird. You, 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 you got to talk about it. You got to talk about yeah. it. It's the, it's the poster child for this phenomena, and it's incredibly frustrating. <laughs> um, Joe Simonton, a chicken farmer from Eagle River, Wisconsin, was making breakfast on the morning of April eighteenth, nineteen sixty one, when he actually heard a sound that sounded like tires on wet pavement. And he looks outside and he sees this craft in the yard that looks like two inverted bowls placed together. It's big and shiny, and inside. Are three <laughs> inside are three? Oh, there are three dark skinned Italians inside there. Oh, yeah, and one of them was holding a holding a jug aloft in the air. <laughs> yeah, so he described them as like these three Italian men in these um in this dark clothing, sort of like uh, almost like a ninja gear or something. <laughs> and uh, they're holding this jug in the air, and for whatever reason, he he doesn't think this is strange. He goes outside, and takes the jug, brings it inside, and fills it up with water because, of course, we'd all do that, right? Um, of course. And as he goes back out, he notices that on the inside of the craft, which you can see, it all looks like sort of black wrought iron, like sort of the matte black sort of appearance. And he uh, he looks closer and he sees that they're sort of making something on this flameless griddle. And he says it looked like 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 pancakes of some sort. <laughs> and apparently these, these space Italians noticed what he was doing. And gave him four of these flat, porous pancakes. They're each about three inches, three inches in size. Um, and they sh- shut up their craft and they took off to the took off to the stars. And he he had them. He was able to give them to people. He you know, he gave one to uh, Jalen Hynek. Um, he gave one to NICAP. He gave one to a local judge, and he kept one for himself. He said they tasted awful. Um, <laughs> <laughs> of course. Go um, ahead, Luke. Do yeah, do you I, think that their ship ran off of pasta? <laughs> Maybe <laughs> it's paranormal stereotype hour. It's paranormal. Um, uh, yeah. I, 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 what I do find interesting about that is that the ingredients came back as all mundane and earthly ingredients. Uh, usually buckwheat. There are some rumors that they were, they were different flavors, but, or different grains rather that were unearthly, but I've never found anything to substantiate that. Um, but what's interesting to me is that they tasted 
bad and they seem mundane, which sort of lines up with these ideas in fairy folklore about uh, the fairies extracting the essence of the food and leaving tasteless, useless, non-nourishing uh, shells in, in its place. What's the uh, term for that? Uh, foison. S-O-Y-S-O-N. Yeah. Um, and uh, it also sort of dovetails in a way with this idea of detritus being, being, uh, being, being, uh, being, being cloaked in glamour. Um, but another interesting, another interesting connection is that uh, the Onerbanski, a race of dwarves from uh, from these, these islands off the coast of uh, the Netherlands, uh, tend to uh, take uh, take uh, pa- pancakes and water to farmers who are working in the fields in the folklore of those islands. So it's an interesting little parallel. It's pretty specific: f- uh, water and, and pancakes and farmers, all all right there in that one little uh, one little. Uh, piece of mythology. Yeah, it's like the two reflect each other. They really do. And you know, I, I, again, Joshua Cushion isn't saying fairies are aliens or that aliens are fairies, but there's there's something there's something connecting the two. <clears throat> so um, I came in a little late. Did we already talk about the uh, Sasquatch and horse mating ritual? Oh no, that's somebody else, Luke. Oh, my bad. Uh, <laughs> I can though, if you want to. I'm, I'm familiar. I was going to say intimately familiar with that, but I don't want to be intimately. Yeah, don't don't use that, that word. <laughs> yeah, we, no. uh, we, we. Uh, well, I had heard uh, Jim King talk about that. You actually, interesting guys. I listened to an interview with him. This is an interesting coincidence. I listened to an interview with him, and the very next day, you are. Uh, I'm reading your book, and you and you mentioned him in your book. Really? Yeah, I, I did. <laughs> it's yeah, been so yeah. long since I've looked at it. Oh, well, do you know, do you remember where it was? Uh, well, this was about, uh, and, and we should get into this, uh, offerings that are made to these beings, not the beings to us. Yes. Uh, and this is a story about, uh, and I heard him talk about this on Darkness Radio. Uh, he talked oh, right, about right, right. this, this guy that uh, they they were feeding the Sasquatch. Yep, 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 yep. You know what I'm talking about now. Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. Um, and this and is this sorry, is, go this ahead. goes into this idea of 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 basically uh, keeping the fairies and the Sasquatch compliant <laughs> with your food offerings. Right. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because uh, this is one of the ways that uh, that Sasquatch overlap with fairy folklore more than more than UFO and alien phenomena. Um, you know, in in fairy folklore, uh, you would leave out some sort of food or food or drink specifically tailored to the type of of you know spirit elemental that you thought you had to deal with uh, outside for them to consume. Sometimes that would be. Um, it would be payment for them doing things around the house or for making your crops ripen. Sometimes that would be sort of like protection money, like just don't mess up my house. Here's your milk. Go along your way. Um, what's interesting is that uh, is that whenever they would take the food, they wouldn't actually eat the food. They'd actually take the essence out of the food, which is that foison that we were talking about. Now, of course, as I've mentioned a lot of times to, to anyone skeptical, skeptical rather, um, saying that the, that this you know this milk is still left behind that I left out for the fairies, but it doesn't have its essence anymore is a very convenient way of saying you know well nothing happened. Um, are there, there are that of, the milk spoiled? You know, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, but there are plenty of anecdotes of 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 uh, of for example, Welsh Welsh uh, Welsh farmers saying that you know my cats wouldn't touch that milk, or conversely, yeah. my cats did drink that milk and they got sick, which lines up nicely with you know uh, how certain uh, scavengers will avoid uh, you know unexplained livestock deaths, cattle mutilations, and the like. But uh, if you didn't leave this food out for the fairy, 
uh, and they were accustomed to it. They would, they would, they would wreck shop. They would come in and they would, they would harass you. In some cases they would, they would prick your feet and they would, they would, uh, you know, break bowls and they would do all this stuff. And it's interesting because, you know, in modern Sasquatch, uh, uh, the modern Sasquatch community, we have people who claim to be habituators. Now, I personally have a big problem with these people in a lot of ways because if you're a habituator, damn it, just take a photo. I don't, I don't care. Just do it. <laughs> and I know that, I know that you might not want the Sasquatch to get noticed. And you don't want, you know, you don't want the, uh, the Harry and the Henderson scenario to play out, but come on, just, just take a picture. Um, or, 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 seen- or just plug him. Yeah, get, exactly. or get us a hair, something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, some something, something really, uh, something, something compelling. But yeah. anyway, giving these people the benefit of the doubt, they claim to have fostered a relationship with a Sasquatch or multiple Sasquatches on their property by leaving out food and drink. Uh, and if you were to uh, to shirk your duties and you were to not leave out your food or drink or leave out something that they didn't want, they would wreak havoc. And this particular. Uh, this particular anecdote that you're referring to was a guy who was um, a gentleman who was in, I believe, in the South of Mississippi or something, uh, who uh, whose grandfather was leaving out, uh, or rather, the, the young man was leaving out food for the Sasquatch, and uh, he went to Kuwait, and his uh, no, sorry, no, I'm, let me get this right. No, you're the, right. He went to the, the guy went to the he was he went to Desert Storm. And left his grandfather there at the, at right. the farm. And the grandfather had a, the grandfather was there taking over the duties, leaving out the Sasquatch food because he was afraid of what might happen. And uh, and the grandfather had a heart attack. That's what happened. Yeah. And uh, supposedly the the, uh, the the Sasquatch just went crazy. <laughs> it went ape shit. <laughs> um, and uh, and uh, ended up sla- slaughtering all the goats on the property. Um, which is interesting because if you look at, uh, for example, uh, one Scottish legend, uh, one of the Fey folk uh, were not given milk, and they slaughtered an entire family's uh, livestock as well. Yeah. So this is uh, this idea that there's this, you know, there's this uh, sort of in, uh, explicit con- or an uh, unexplicit contract between, you know, the other and us is uh, something that I that I that I examine in the book as well. Yeah, it's re- it's very fascinating just the links there and the similarities between the two. And it, there's so many people that would look at somebody like Sasquatch and say that there could be something supernatural, not just cryptozoological, like this is a creature that is uh, we don't know about, but is 100% flesh and blood. I mean, there's there's a school of thought out there, a very strong one, that says that he that Sasquatch is just one of another one of these entities that people run across. And yeah, that fits I mean, with the way that the Native Americans view view this creature. Yeah, I mean, well, you you find you find different tribes viewing it in, in different ways. There are definitely some that that ascribe supernatural abilities to Sasquatch, and there's some that do think he's just an ape. I, I per- personally would love it to be just an ape, but uh, if I'm honest with myself, again, if I'm honest with myself, something else is going on. I don't know if that means that it's an ape who's um, whose appearance gets sometimes co-opted by something a lot stranger, um, or if it means that the whole thing is is strange. But you you hear these stories about you know the lines of tracks that just end in the middle of an open field, or you hear you know stories. There there are stories. Stan Gordon has a lot of stories from Pennsylvania uh, during a UFO flap where you know he sees Sasquatch and goes behind a tree, and the only thing that emerges from the other side of the tree is just the legs of Sasquatch. <laughs> just yeah. these weird these weird stories. Um, 
that uh, that that keep on that are they're persistent. Um, and I've had people say that uh, that that you know these stories aren't that common, but and they aren't. I'll give you that, but they're persistent and they fall in line with the idea. Uh, they fall in line with the very harsh reality that we don't have a body and that we don't have a great photo and we don't have a great film, regardless of how you feel about the Patterson Gimlin film. It's not a great film. No. Um, so yeah, th- there's, there's something else going on here. I'm not comfortable saying Sasquatch is, is, well, I'm not comfortable saying Sasquatch is real, but even if I were to assume that I'm not comfortable saying that it's a biological entity and I'm not comfortable saying it's a, uh, spirit person uh part of <laughs> part of me just loves saying that everything's fairies because it's a great catch-all answer for anything yeah. that's a little bit weird <laughs> missing 411 is fairies <laughs> aliens are fairies you know it's sort of like the uh the easy button of the paranormal <laughs> well why not you know rob what do you think about all this like you're the you're kind of the resident cryptozoological bigfoot guy <laughs> over here yeah I, i'm i'm fascinated by all this i i've never heard of any of it though so it's um I, I don't know. Wow. The, 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 just the whole, the whole mythos. Like I really want to look more into, it. I'm definitely going to read the book by the way. Oh, well, thanks. <laughs> just, just cause this whole, um, uh, I don't know how you describe it. This whole type of story with the, the correlation between food and, you know, everything from aliens to Bigfoot to fairies to, you know, everything we've covered. Like when Adam tried to explain what the show was going to be about tonight, I had no idea coming into it still what it was about. Cause <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's hard. It's, 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 it's a very, it's a niche within a niche, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's amazing. I, I had no idea there was that many stories like that. Well, and, and, and again, to, to, to be clear, I, I'm, I'm not, I don't, I don't just because things have similarities doesn't mean that they're all the same thing and that you can paint it on with a big brush. It might be different things using similar methods. It might mean, you know, an idea that I'm really fond of that uh, I'm actually including in my next project. It sort of grew out of, of a blog post that I had is, um, you guys have spoken with Mike Cleland, right? Yeah. Yes. Yes, okay. we have. So yeah. So Mike, Mike. Mike thinks that there are owls that are flesh and blood owls that are flying through the woods and doing their own thing and they eat and breed and they die, you know, that sort of thing. But sometimes the owls are weirder. And that's sort of what I would like to think if you really had to hold my feet to the fire, that maybe that's what we're dealing with with Sasquatch, that there is some sort of biological entity out there whose appearance is sometimes used by the other uh, in 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 some sort of more arcane, more occult way, which I like it because it makes everybody happy. <laughs> and I, I really like when the uh, same type of story appears in different eras and in different geographies, because to me that mm. that represents it could be more of a um, uh, genetic memory or some type of uh, psychological predisposition to some sort of thing. Yeah, well, it's it's to me it's to me it's like it's like the uh, any of this is is like it's it's probably like the quote unquote true answer to the UFO phenomena. I have a gut feeling that the true answer to the UFO phenomena is partially misidentification. It's partially experimental craft. It's partially you know occult spiritual weirdness. And it's partially it, it might partially be um, you know ex- extraterrestrial craft. Uh, and it, it, it could it could be all these things. It's partially psychology. I think that what we're dealing with is you know uh, a, a Plurality probably of things is misidentification, and then you have smaller smaller percentages that are that are different things. But what you end up with is you end up with this really homogenous mix of of of, of answers for what the phenomena is. Yeah, I, I I agree with you. I mean, I think that there's definitely a there's definitely many different answers that we're dealing with many different things. I just think that it's become 
it's become so simplified over the years as even to the point of, you know, UFO, just that word itself. Well, all that means is unidentified flying object. And, and that's it. You know, I right. can see something. I don't know what it is. So it's going to be a UFO to me, but that, but in our popular culture, that has become synonymous with flying saucer and aliens from Zeta Reticuli and all this other stuff. The Ashtar command. Ashtar command. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) You know, and and so it's just become just that one term alone. You know, people, I think think as human beings, we do tend to simplify a lot. We don't want to see things as too complicated. Without a doubt, without a doubt. And, you know, it's, I think it's, I think it's natural. And, and if we are willing to, if we are willing to deal with nuance and political discussion, what makes anybody think that we're willing to deal with nuance in this, which impacts our lives pretty much 0% unless we've had a direct experience. I want to ask you about, because you look at these different foods that are in these, these encounters and you actually make a connection to a certain kind of diet. And yeah. I thought this was very interesting that you actually come, that you actually came to this conclusion. Yeah, if there was ever any sort of um, occult and not satanic people, just strange, bizarre, unexplained uh, hand in what I was doing um, in this book, it probably was me stumbling upon this this little parallel because I would not have expected it at all. Um, I was looking into this concept of of hot foods and cold foods, which don't mean spicy or, or temperature wise. It means you know, in, in a lot of uh, early uh, classical thought, this idea that certain foods could affect uh, aspects of the body in certain ways. And I stumbled upon uh, this concept in Ayurvedic. Uh, tradition, which is the sattvic diet. Ayurveda is a Hindu, uh, basically it's sort of a, a Hindu uh, medicinal diet sort of approach, traditional medicine. Um, and uh, it's interesting because the sort of foods that you tend to see in, uh, in entity reports of all sorts, um, in terms of, in, in terms of, in terms of their prevalence are liquids, fruits and vegetables, um, and grains, and then everything else sort of trickles down in much lesser minorities from there. And pancakes. <laughs> and the pancakes. Yeah. <laughs> and the pancakes, um, which, you know, sort of fit into grains, as it were. <laughs> um, and within those, you see, you know, liquids tend to be juices, a lot of juices, a lot of obviously in each of these categories, a lot of unidentified things. But if we're going to try to identify things, a lot of juices, a lot of milks, um, in, 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 uh, in, uh, fruits, we fruits and vegetables. We wind up with mostly like a lot of fruits, a lot of sweet fruits like berries and, 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 and melon. Not really melons, but berries and pomegranates and the like. And then uh, grains, you know, whole wheat grains, the buckwheat that uh, that um, Joe Simonton had. Right. These correspond with this idea in Ayurvedic cuisine in terms of that emphasis with this concept of the sattvic diet. Um, the sattvic diet is an, is this particular diet that you are encouraged to eat to lead to both a healthy physical and spiritual life. Um, it's, it's ba- basically looks like a lacto vegetarian diet is what it is. And okay. Oh, well, you know, the, the uh, entities tend to correspond to a lacto vegetarian diet. That's not the point. The point is that the amount of emphasis that you see in Ayurvedic cuisine on how these foods should be consumed aligns up directly with it. You know, juice, are the most sattvic foods um, and juices are probably the the most common sort of uh, drink that people get they're given some sort of liquid and of the of the liquids juice is the most common um, they talk about how you should uh, 
you should eat, uh, you should drink milk. Milk is also another common one as we were talking about with the, uh, the fairies and folks. You talk about uh, bread made of wheat or barley. A lot of fairies used to give bread made of wheat or barley. These are the most common foods. Now, why this is particularly interesting is because those who consume a sadvic diet as part of having a healthy physical and healthy spiritual life um, actually are said to have lives that are conducive towards clairvoyance. The sadvic diet is a diet that mystics hmm. and seers and clairvoyants are encouraged to and do eat. Um, and this is where we get this is where we get into the, this is where we get even farther from the nuts and bolts thing because. A lot of people don't like to talk about it, but a lot of abductees end up having um, having uh, cycle uh, having uh, moments of clairvoyance. They have, end up having poltergeist activity in their houses. Right, all sorts of strange stuff. Um, yes. Betty Hill claimed to have dreams throughout her life, predicting fatal car accidents of friends. Um, you know, Mike Cleland again has talked about you know is a great interest in the UFO psychic connection, um, but also. A lot of times when people are abducted and they've had these experiences, they tend to engage in a sattvic diet. In the uh, Avis abduction of 1977 from England, they were actually given – I believe they were given some sort of like peppermint, peppermint-y sort of cupcake or something along those lines, like a cookie or something. And when they returned, they gave up alcohol. They gave up tobacco. They gave up food with preservatives, food with colorings, food with any sort of unnatural flavorings, and meat. And which means that they were eating, they were basically eating the, uh, they're basically eating the satvic diet, um, which is, which is fascinating to me. And it, yeah, it does tie into this new age thing. And, you know, I, at all, but if I'm being honest with myself, there is a spiritual new age component to this that, uh, that, that I, I see bearing out in the data. Yeah. Yeah. And, and maybe not necessarily as like a new age, but just like it definitely, there's this, this psychic phenomenon and you see that all the time. You're, you're a hundred percent right that people have these experiences and they'll have poltergeist experiences or vice versa. People will begin to have, uh, like there's the one guy that we've had on this show way back, uh, Bill Bean, you know, he grew up in a, uh, violently haunted house and he, as a child and he moved away and then later on in his life, he started having these experiences where he could summon UFOs and all this kind of just weirdness all around him. So for him, that was the the other way around in a way. Yeah, and 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 also to be clear, uh, the main reason that I said that this was New Age is a lot of a lot of Hindu uh, belief has been sort of co opted by by the New Age community. Right. So I'm not really necessarily yeah. not, not sort of writing it off as nonsense. Um, but you know, you, you run into these people who are who are staunch nuts and bolts ET guys who don't even want to acknowledge this stuff, and it's there. Um, and as goofy as some of these psychic Sasquatch stories are, you know, it's 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 still there too. Uh, you know, you'd be talking. You know, I'll, I can't tell you how many times I'm listening to a show on Sasquatch, and you know, the the, the interviewer will, will say, you know, interviewer will say, uh, you know, I, I remember this one time. I, you know, well, I grew up in a haunted house, and, and then they move on from that. And I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Most mm-hmm. people don't get to see a Sasquatch ever. They don't get to live in a haunted house. And you're saying that this has happened to you. And it's not that I'm disbelieving them. I think that there's something about the person. There's something about this on a very fabric of reality sort of level that a lot of people in, in every camp aren't addressing. It, this is the, it, it seems a lot that uh, the people that I've talked to that they claim they've had hauntings and stuff, you know, just friends or people I've come across have leave out a lot of details. Like a lot of details that are very like pertinent to the story too. Yeah. 
And it's well, also very right, frustrating I mean, too, Joshua, that you have, and uh, John Tenney is one of the guys that uh, yeah I really respect, and he actually draws a lot of the parallels. And it's it's very frustrating that like the alien, I love it for the alien contact, alien abduction people, and the ghost people to get together one time and have dinner together and compare notes of just how similar their experiences are. Right. Yeah. No. Totally. Totally, and the thing that the thing that frustrates me about uh, do, do you guys ever listen to the uh, the Skeptico podcast with Alex Sakaris? I've never listened to it, but I'm familiar with it. Oh, it's great! Yeah. I love it. Um, he wrote a book. He wrote a book, a, ch- a cheekily titled book called "Why Science Is Wrong About Everything." And, and the reason that he he says that I, I I sort of have some problems with the title, but I totally get why he's doing it because his idea is that if if science is wrong about what consciousness is, in terms of it being a fundamental force, then you kind of have to sort of start at square one, right? Um, because if consciousness is a fundamental force that can guide things, then none of the laws that we would like to – all the laws of, of the universe are more like guidelines. Um, and the thing that boggles my mind is that you have nuts and bolts ufologists talking about, well, yes, obviously the ETs can use telepathy. Well, okay, look, if that's the case, then you've got to start from scratch. Man, because you're already you're already in the the weird psi spiritual realm, and and that's I'm, I'm sorry, like you've got to entertain the idea that these aren't you know intergalactic scientists. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And 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 also too, are they coming from Zeta Reticuli or Sirius B to just come down here and make us pancakes? I mean, <laughs> I mean, exactly. I mean, I'm being a little facetious, but I mean, the absurdity of some of it too is just, <laughs> yeah. you know, what 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 is going on? And they're not even good pancakes. That's the worst part. I know. Like they don't I even know, give right? you, they don't even give you any good syrup. They don't even give syrup with it. You got to supply your own. <laughs> What's their syrup like? Some kind of embryonic fluid that keeps humans like alive and powering their ship. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, sleep paralysis. You mentioned that yeah. a little earlier. And w- what's the connection between food and sleep paralysis? Well, you know, as Ebenezer Scrooge once said, there's more of gravy than of grave about you to the ghost of, uh, to the ghost of Marley. Um, you know, yeah. there was this idea longstanding that uh, sleep paralysis and food were directly, you know, related as, as cause and effect. Um, so I sort of tried to see if there's any any real comparisons that you can find there. There aren't there aren't a ton of strong comparisons, but it was definitely worth you know looking at you know because a lot of the sleep paralysis experience uh, dovetails with a lot of what you find people uh, talking about in the alien encounters, and to the fact to the extent that many people claim that uh, that you uh, that alien abductions are simply sleep paralysis, you know, full stop. Um, one of the most interesting things that I uncovered uh, was uh, the belief of the Yoruba of southwestern Nigeria, who feel that uh, sleep paralysis is actually they they refer to it as Ogun Oru, nocturnal warfare, and it's actually um, it's because of a curse that's been put on you by a shaman or by a by a witch doctor or a spirit of some sort, and the way that you get it is by eating food given to you in your dream. And uh, you're most vulnerable between three and four a.m. So, uh, so there's that you know nice little uh, nice little uh, connection there. Uh, the spirit that has given you this food, the uh, entity that's given you this food, has done it because it wants you to be its spirit wife. So there's the sexual component there too. But this sort of this is an important step, I think, because it implies that it implies that that non physical food 
in this belief system is believed to elicit a physical reaction. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, we see food given in the dream resulting in sleep paralysis, that it's somehow a means of, uh, a means of gaining access to uh, the person's consciousness or the person's, if you want to even say soul. Um, and uh, that's an interesting belief that you will find sort of in other anecdotal stories too. Um, you'll find people who have DMT trips and are given a pill that makes the trip longer than it should have been. You'll find people who have given up uh, smoking, smoking pot and who are, who are given a, a blunt in a dream and they wake up and they feel like they're high. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's really interesting. Uh, you know, our, our good friend, Micah Hank said that when he was working on his uh, first book, magic mysticism and the molecule, that entities would offer him, uh, things to eat and drink, uh, in his, in his sleep. And of course, uh, he, he didn't take any of them, but you know, you sort of wonder what it might've happened if he did. Yeah. I mean, Micah might've ascended or something. You never know. I mean, that's, <laughs> <laughs> I can, I can only imagine. He would, he would have become the next Doctor Who is what he would have done. Yeah, well, <laughs> he's already that. Well, you know. yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that that's, that's utterly fascinating. And again, I mean, that goes back to the whole as above, so below kind of concept. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, the two it, realities it, reflecting each other. Yeah, and, and it also underscores how important how important consciousness is, you know, and it underscores how, you know, again, this is tied into bigger concepts that are, that are, you know, scientifically have a lot, very strong scientific legs to stand on, like the placebo effect. The idea that if you think this is something, you know, that's going to benefit you, it will benefit you to some degree. You know, I was thinking as we were going through this idea of the offerings to the fairies and to the Sasquatch um, offering, and you do have some stories about that going on with aliens as well. But I was thinking about this whole concept, and I couldn't help but think of the whole idea behind, well, sacrifice, basically. Um, you know, in the Bible, in other religions, um, the whole idea of, you know, you're you're basically offering animal sacrifice uh, plant sacrifice or, or giving offerings of plants to the gods. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, that's basically it's almost it's basically the same thing in a way. When you and you look about the, you look at the the primary you know Abrahamic religions and the and the means that which they could offer uh, these uh, these foods to the gods is that often <laughs> they would uh, they would burn them. And that yeah. concept of burning is tied into this concept of the fairies taking the essence, this idea that somehow by burning them, you would be able to release the essence of whatever this was into the into heavenward, you know, sort of a way to, to feed the gods, um, which interestingly enough, um, my next book is going to be on is, well, I've written and I'm waiting to hear back from uh, Patrick Weege, my editor and, and publisher, but uh, it's, it's on, uh, it's on smells. So this, this idea with, with food sort of it's sort of a natural outgrowth of this because you think about the way that food and taste are sort of related to smell it all sort of starts to <laughs> in some ways i feel like right. that book and this book should be sort of the same book um because it's part of that again that that ripple effect that i talked about earlier well you could sell them as a box set you know <laughs> exactly yeah i was i was i was toying with the idea of like doing the the, the trojan trilogy but that might sound a little bit like a new product of, of condoms <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, what I wanted to ask you about is that you have this idea of the eating the God concept. Right. What is this concept? 
Well, that's that's it's sort of the natural uh, endpoint from what we were talking about earlier with this idea of liquids. Um, so if you look at – so everybody's familiar with this concept even if they don't realize it. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's an outgrowth of this idea that you'll find amongst a lot of uh, early cultures that if you consume the flesh of your enemy, you'll take on their attributes. Well, using this logic, if you consume the flesh of a god, you'll become godlike, which is, um, is you know, sort of mirrored in, uh, in Christian tradition. And anyone who's a Christian, I'm a Christian too. I, I, I'm totally on board with, 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 with the religion. But there, we, you know, the Christianity has a long history of using – Cultural uh, cultural memes uh, to its own end. So this is this is another one of it's just just another thing that they grafted on. Uh, that, that's that's a natural outgrowth of the Last Supper. Um, but uh, this idea that um, by taking communion, you're actually consuming a piece of Christ, and you're becoming closer to them in communion with them. So, um, given this concept, what are we to make of the fact that? Ayahuasca is at once plant, liquid, and God. Um, what are we to make of the fact that uh, UFOs are often described as mercurial? Uh, and but, but that was one of the things that Carl Jung talked about is how they were sort of representative of of the mercurial state. They're always changing. They're ever fluid. They're in some sense liminal, uh, meaning that they don't belong to one or the other. They're always changing. Um, you know, liquids are liquids are a great metaphor for UFOs, and you find this motif expressed in a lot of abduction lore. You have, you know, this idea that uh, aliens eat through their skin. Uh, you have images of, you know, uh, alien babies floating in vats of liquid. Yeah. Um, there are several there are several uh, abduction account uh, abduction encounters where entities have appeared rising out of a liquid pool in the floor these things are somehow tied to liquid you look at a lot of the stories of people being rubbed down with ointments who are taken aboard craft so there's some sort of liquidity motif that's going on here having said that these things are offering liquid too so what if what we're seeing is in some sense uh, an expression of the same idea of eating the god this idea of sharing communion with us and becoming closer to the other in some sense not uh, not unlike uh, the uh, Amazonian ayahuasca ritual hmm. very fascinating and, and very fascinating just how everything just kind of links <laughs> together and I promise that's a you lot know? more lucid in the book <laughs> oh no I mean I mean I yeah. got it you know yeah uh, let's hit on this idea about, because I wanted to come back to this, and this is the whole idea of the sexuality aspect. And it seems to me that there is a that there is almost a hidden theme here in this book and some of the stories that you talk about. And I've actually heard Micah speak about this as well. And, you know, you have the alien abduction phenomenon. You have this whole idea of the hybrids, the impregnation of the women, and then they're taken, and then the hybrid babies are taken back to the aliens, and then they're not pregnant anymore. Uh, there's concepts in fairy lore of them either taking away human children and leaving the changeling, or even these uh, fairies that will mate with human men and have half-human, half-fairy children. And that's directly reflective of something like the Antonio Villas-Boas experience, uh, right. which is interesting. And then there is the Sasquatch phenomenon as well, where human women are taken, and they're basically impregnated with, with Sasquatch babies. And then the Sasquatch come back, and they take the babies, 
or they keep the women and raise the babies there, or the and the women leave. And it's and that's similar to the alien abduction phenomenon. So there we go, back full mm-hmm. circle. Mm-hmm. You know it, what? And then you have in the Bible the idea of the Nephilim, the 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 uh, sons of God that saw them the the you know the whole Genesis six thing that they saw right. the the right. women of Earth and they were fair and they wanted to, and they had they went down and knew them and had children with them. So you have these concepts that are all over the place. And the concept of the demigod, you know, what's going on here? Uh, well, you know, let's let's spin this out a little bit more. Let's talk about yeah. you know black witches' sabbaths. You know, we're laying in Congress with the devil. Uh, you know, um, yeah, yeah. What is going on? Um, Your good old black Philip, right? <laughs> would thou like to live deliciously? <laughs> would, wouldst thou like to live deliciously? Yes. Um, <laughs> Tell me more. Uh, yeah, I, I, um, I mean, if, if the the only way that I can begin to approach it in a non literal sense um, is or, or is 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 by looking at the psychological symbolic aspects of it, right? Um, you know, if in order for me to make sense of this, I have to look at it as if. This is all a reflection of ourselves, and then try to build out from that is what I is what I is the only way I know how to approach it. Not that that's a good way. Um, I look at humankind's yearning to unify with the other. Hmm. Um, you know the the idea of the shamanic experience of being able to walk between worlds. The idea again, the idea of Jesus Christ being man and God. Um, I think that is somehow tied up in this. Um, I think it's also somehow tied up into this concept of, of, of liminality, which is something that is a really great $100,000 word for just basically saying threshold. <laughs> you know, you look at the way a rule of thumb is, you know, a rule of thumb to understand all this phenomena is to view it through that lens of liminality. Liminality is this idea that uh, the, the the god of the doorway, basically, neither here nor there. So if you are, it's it's the summertime and you are about to go to college, but you've graduated high school, you're in a liminal state. Yeah. Um, that's what tricksters are. They they tend to upend concepts into this in between state. That's where you see these things. You know, you talk about seeing Sasquatch at the edge of the woods. Sometimes you talk about seeing trolls under bridges, which are liminal states. Again, you're not on one side of the ri- bridge and on the other side of the bridge. You talk about seeing the devil at the crossroads. It's another point of transition. You talk about seeing these things often, sometimes at, in the twilight hour. Um, Black so dogs, I think that somehow. Kind of things. Well, sorry, what was that Black dogs? Yeah, 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 same same thing. Um, so if you look at if you look at it through that sort of lens, hybridization is sort of like a liminality between between God and man. And not necessarily saying that you know these other things are God, but they're between the other and us. So it sounds like that's possibly an expression of that. I cannot say that I you know here's my thing with people people who say that they're alien hybrids. Have you got a DNA test done? No. Well, that's a non-starter. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, um, I, I find it difficult to believe that there is a physical objective reality to that. Um, but I don't think that, that there isn't some sort of reality to it, even viewed through a psychological lens, if that makes any sort of sense. Because again, what I'm thinking about is 
I'm thinking about the importance of the observer. So if you have someone who's taken aboard a craft who has had this weird sexual thing happen to them, they're shown a hybrid baby. What does that is is that a, is that a hybrid entity or is that the other trying to evoke an emotion in the person? Um, and I would, and these are the sort of questions that I would love to see asked of people, you know, um, were you, you know, were you unsympathetic towards others before you saw your hybrid baby? Of course you wouldn't word it like that because it's sort of loading the question, but you know, pre-experience, post-experience, you note yourself becoming more compassionate. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's a way of saying, look, you, look this is something so other that is diametrically, but diametrically opposed to you that you share something with. Maybe we want to create empathy in you and that we're going to do this by showing you this image of you joined with something incredibly alien and foreign. And I think that might be part of it. Then again, you know, then again, maybe we should take it all on face value. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe Sasquatch are uh, ape-like humans who can interbreed with us. And it really is just a, just a biological approach. My gut tells me that there's something my gut tells me that there's something symbolic at play and I right. have to commend you guys for asking me that question and holding my feet to the fire. Cause nobody's ever done that to me before. So well, it's, it's um, just something that's been on my mind. I mean, like I said, I heard Micah speak about it on the Grayling report and it just, it's always, it's kind of been there. And again, you know, it's, it's, it's connections after connections after connections. Yeah. I, I, I don't and, think it's, and I don't you think see it's, it. I don't think it's suppressed sexuality. I don't think it's some sort of psychological construct. Um, I, 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 but I, but at the same time, I, I, it's hard for me to realize what sort of greater purpose there is uh, to all this. And it's, yeah, it's something that it's, 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 it's probably in a lot of ways, the most consistent thing between all these phenomena. And I think for that reason, it deserves more attention. Let me ask you this. And, and this is as, as a, as a Christian, you know, I'm a Christian myself and, you know, I, I have been of the school of thought that, what we're basically dealing with as far as, you know, abductions, that phenomenon is possibly a demonic manifestation. Mm-hmm. And lately I've come to the point of, I'm not entirely a hundred percent sure that they may, that that might be true. I think there might be an element. Do you think that this phenomenon is good? Is it evil or is it just neutral? And we just put our own hangups and weird desires on it. Yeah, you know, sometimes I wonder if it's if it's if it's that that last one, if it's just a neutrality, if it's it's more reflective yeah. of 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 what we are. Because I know people who seem to have seem to have their their lives together who are a mess underneath the surface. Um, I know some people who appear to be a mess who are actually living life for the best. And I think that maybe it's a reflection of our inner dialogue, um, and there's a neutrality that we sort of graft onto it. Um, you know, but. At, at the same time, I don't I don't deny that, that the idea of a demonic uh, the idea of a demonic component component hasn't uh, hasn't uh, hasn't crossed my mind. I, I I run into a lot of people asking me, you know, as as a Christian, how I deal with this, and my yeah. response is always, you know, as a Christian, you're told that the Lord works in mysterious ways, except with mysterious things, and it's always the devil. <laughs> Which right, you know, I, right, right. I, uh, I I'm Episcopalian myself, so we 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 love to sit in the gray areas of things. Um, and uh, you know, I I I I feel like that there is 
my my worldview and my my personal religious worldview is big enough that there could be some sort of neutral third party. Uh, yeah. And I think that might be what we're seeing. You know, H- having said that, you know, if if, if uh, the Greys show up in my bedroom tonight, I'm going to start praying and screaming for Jesus. That's for sure. <laughs> you know? Are you familiar with a guy named Joe Jordan? Are you familiar with him? That sounds familiar, but I can't say. Uh, he is, uh, and I'd love to get him on the show at some point. But he lives out in like Korea now, so the time zones are ridiculous. But um, he's actually a good friend of a friend of mine named Guy Malone. And uh, he he has collected a lot of cases. He used to work for MUFON, and he's collected a lot of cases that deal with people being uh, going through the abduction experience, and they call on the name of Jesus, and it just stops. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and that's something that's something that we actually uh, ended up talking about. Um, uh, it's sort of a running a running theme throughout my last couple appearances on Where Did the Road Go. I think the next one that's going to come out is going to talk about yeah. this too. Um, but this idea that you'll have people who are completely, you know, completely complete atheists in some cases who revert back to their, you know, their Catholic programming and start screaming for Jesus, and it it, it works, uh, you know. And it's interesting, you know. I wonder, I I I wonder if. You know, I, I, I should hope that there's some sort of objective power on that. I wonder how I wonder how many atheists scream for Jesus and how many uh, fundamentalists scream for Jesus and what the percentages are for how that works for each of them. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Exactly. You know, uh, yeah. you know. There may I, be I, no way to really quantify that in a, in a real exactly. way. Yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, you but know, it's I interesting it's, stuff that he has collected. I mean, it really is. And, it, and it's it's compelling for sure. Yeah, no, I, 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 it's, it's funny because, you know, you come into this and the subject and you have this idea of what everything is. And I think that the healthiest way to, to, if, if you're, do, if you're doing your job right, you will have strong suspicions about things, but you'll wind up on the other side of it, just not really being sure about anything. And this, I would really encourage everyone to engage in this sense of healthy agnosticism about, about all these things, you know, to take, take in all bits of data and use your own personal BS meter and come up with, you know, uh, connections and suspicions, but don't, don't ever say, you know, I have the answer and it is this. Yeah. 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 I, I really, uh, I really think Rob wants to add something to this. Well, I was just going to simplify that and say, have ideas, not beliefs. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like it's, it's like a certain amount of dogmatism of like, you know, you'll hear people that, and a lot of them come from that new age philosophy. A lot of them come from that area and they will talk about this stuff as if they're so certain. Right. Uh, You know, like one of the things is, is like, you know, uh, reincarnation, and this idea that we we set out our life path before we uh, were born, and if we die horribly, well, that means that we wanted that. <laughs> and it's like you know, I have such a hard time with that. I'm like, you did, that's just yeah, no. you know, you know. While, 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 <laughs> while we're at it, while we're at it, rape victims, the rape victims were asking for it, right? I mean, it sounds like yeah. that sort of logic, you know? It's yeah. Just, yeah. Blame, yeah. blame the victim. You but you, you have free will, but you decided on that free will before you were born. So therefore, when you're alive, you don't have free will. And it just becomes, it, it just becomes something that's, that's almost as dogmatic as, as just as Christian fundamentalism. Yeah. You know, it's just the opposite, yeah. opposite end. Adam, you're, you're a star child. And whenever the mothership comes, you'll realize. Oh, thank you, Luke. Yeah. <laughs> now, see, I, I, feel I like thought you were the indigo child. <laughs> that's what my mom says anyway. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, Luke's an indigo child, so he's about a quarter quarter uh, can, of reticulin, right? Can you see my aura right now? Mm-hmm. What color is it? Man, it's shining, dude. <laughs> coming, coming through the Skype. <laughs> Makes for good radio. Nobody could see Luke's aura. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, you know, it's interesting because I... Uh, I've often touted the idea that because I mean, if if we're human beings on this earth and we're paying attention and we're not taking a strictly materialist atheist stance, we have to sort of find some way to justify suffering. And what I've personally come through in my own idea is that perhaps, not definitely, but perhaps there is some sort of inherent. You've probably you've heard me say this before, probably on, on where the road go, but there perhaps is. Um, is some sort of inherent value in suffering that we can't comprehend. You know, um, it's like, uh, when you, I don't know, I, I had my, I had my tonsils taken out when I was a kid and it was miserable and I hated it. And I'm pretty sure I didn't understand quite what was going on, but it was better for me in the long run. So if we engage in this idea of, of reincarnation, this idea that we can't understand what's going on behind the screens, behind the scenes, rather, maybe there is something spiritually beneficial to suffering. Um, which is the only way that I, this was the main way that I've, you know, been able to, to reconcile it with my own personal worldview. Yeah. And I mean, that's an essential part of Christianity too. Right. Um, it, yeah. I, I, I totally, I totally get what you're saying and where, where you're going there. Uh, the ayahuasca experience is another thing. Uh, I mean, when you go through that, no, I've not gone through it. Nobody here has, but you know, as I've been told and as I've heard, you know, you go through horrible pain. You go through nausea, you you puke, you defecate all over the place, you pee all over the place, and you confront your demons. And at the very end of that experience, all of a sudden, a good being comes and leads you to some kind of some kind of enlightenment. It's interesting. Well, you know, it's 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 the it's the uh, I heard Joe Rogan a while back talking about how the reason that he isn't he isn't a vegetarian is because, you know, that's, that's everything lives because things die, you know, and, and things have to, things have to get bad in order to, to get better. And that's just, yeah. that's just, that's the, you know, well, and now, now we're back into, I should have just said the circle of life, Simba, but, uh, <laughs> but <laughs> everything the light touches. Um, but no, I mean, like that's, that's the only way that growth is, is, is accomplished is by, by breaking and reforming, you know? Yeah. And and this is why I'm glad to talk to you guys because, uh, like Mike Cullen has often said, if you're talking to people about these subjects about UFOs and such, and you don't end up wrestling with the big questions of life, you're probably talking to the wrong people. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, we could just talk about like you know Donald Trump for a little bit longer, but you know, <laughs> oh, please don't, oh, please Lord. don't. Let's let's resume. Hopefully, hope, hopefully that'll be the uh, hopefully that'll be the pain that we have to go through. I don't know. That's yeah, the that's positive. the that's the pain we have to go through as a nation that's, that's before we get to enlightenment. Right? I can do, yeah. Yeah, there, yeah. there you go. Well, Joshua, we were just about out of time, but uh, tell everybody where they can get your book. And also, you, we talked about the smells book a little bit, but uh, when is that supposed to come out? Yeah, uh, it, uh, uh, fall. I guess um, that's what we're shooting for is sometime this fall. Okay. Um, it's, it's definitely in the pipeline. I, I'm sending in the, I sent in the, uh, the contract today. So it's, it's, it's a done deal. It's just got to, you know, n- n- now's when the real work begins, is, you know, trying to 
figure out how to edit it. Um, so that'll be coming out soon. But anybody who wants to stay up on that uh, can visit my website, joshuacutchin.com, uh, for updates on that project. And uh, you can purchase uh, my book uh, from Amazon and uh, Barnes & Noble as well, um, available in Kindle, paperback, and hardcover. And uh, also, I, I do blog from time to time on, on joshuacutchin.com. Uh, it's it's kind of sporadic, but I try to put a lot of thought into it whenever I do. Um, and if you want to hear my voice again, if you can stand it, I, I just tune into Where Do the Road Go, and I'll be on there sooner rather than later. It's a podcast run by Soraya Asgath. Yeah, all these uh, are good friends over there. Uh, yeah. all these, uh, round table discussions that you do, I'd love to do some of those, some of those myself as well. So well, we'll have to have you on there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we've talked about, uh, so Ryan, I've talked about it a few times. Just, okay. Well then we, I'll bug him again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Ryan's an awesome guy. He's a good friend of the show. Uh, Rob Luke, was there anything that you want guys wanted to add? Yeah, <clears throat> I mean, I think we covered it. I think if you give me about 30 more minutes, I could come up with a few questions. Yeah, we have to, we, we have, have like 30 that. minutes of silence while, while Luke thinks about it. You guys can whistle the Jeopardy song. <laughs> that might help. Usually jogs his, jogs his memory. Well, we're, we're going to close out this section, Joshua, but stay on the line for us. And hey, guys, sounds great. we will be right back on Conspiracy Normal. Thank you, Joshua. Thanks so much, gentlemen. So I've got this sneaking suspicion that uh, Adam leaves his house late at night and goes and finds one of these female Sasquatches and he he latches onto the teat. Oh yeah, man, <laughs> uh, all the time. I mean, how'd you know, dude? See, like, how'd you know that's so, what I do? Something, something has to arouse this interest in in uh, Sasquatches with you, like you know, it's all every other guest is about Sasquatches. It seems like so now I finally it's starting to come together. Oh yeah, is that that's your conspiracy theory? Yeah, on the show? My, on, about you. Yeah, okay, that's my yeah. conspiracy. Normal conspiracy. I don't know. Well, 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 maybe it maybe it actually appears to me as a beautiful woman that reveals her breasts and I suckle. So we're saying, but then, and then it, but then it actually a, is Sasquatch. Right. We're, we're making a movie now. They have we're magical powers too. Like, all right. Well, guys, uh, what do you think of that interview? I mean, we got real deep on that one. Yeah, that was awesome. That's like another topic that I've never heard absolutely anything about. That was yeah. amazing. Like he was a, he was a great guest, and it was a great interview. Yeah, we actually ended up talking. What was it like? Another ten minutes afterwards. Yeah, and uh, I, I'm really excited to 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 read this uh, book about smells that he's got coming out. And we'll have him definitely on again. Uh, I think he's the kind of guest that's going to be really recurring for us. Uh, Luke, what do you think, man? It, I was thinking whenever he was talking about the the uh, the dinner and talking about food and dreams or whatever that you mm-hmm. shouldn't accept and. I couldn't help but think about um, like the Odyssey, where wherever the the harpies had that meal out on the table, and they were all stu- like the ship's crew was all starving, and like they went in there to feast, and they got attacked by the harpies. It, it seems to be like a common story yeah. repeated throughout like historical literature. Yeah, yeah, a common a common uh, story through mythology. Yeah, and like I said before, I couldn't help but think about you know with the fruit. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is the Adam and Eve story, right? You know the the serpent in the garden, and there, there's been ideas. And it's not. I mean, I'll say this, but it's not something that's original to me or to maybe to somebody like Joshua. It's it's uh, you know, the, the possibility of this idea that the fruit in the garden could have been some kind of hallucinogenic drug. 
Yeah. Mm, maybe. I mean, isn't that yeah. fascinating? I, yeah. I mean, uh, that's a definite possibility. And in, um, in, in the Koji key, uh, which is like the Shintoist, you know, religious book, uh, Amida Maru is like the main character and he like throws a peach at demons to kill them. Really? Like whenever he enters the mouth of hell, like the, what the, is the Koji key? The, Ko, the Koji key is like, uh, it's from like 200 BC or something like that. And it's the Shintoist kind of Bible, but it, it doesn't, it doesn't really, it's, it's all just like really obscure, like weird stories, you know? And, and I guess, I guess it, it applies to real life things. Like it's, was you know it was, a, you know, it was a peach pit, wasn't it, or was it a whole peach? It was a whole peach, I believe. He threw it at the demons that were chasing after him whenever he was like fleeing the hell cave, and and they turned into a wall of bamboo or something. <laughs> Rob, what did you think about you know the, the the kind of like and there weren't too many stories in the book about Sasquatch, but what did you think about the addition of Sasquatch in there? Besides um, Luke's <laughs> conspiracy theory about <laughs> right, 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 your involvement with them aside, yeah. Uh, well, I, I like what you brought up earlier about um, how viewing them as more of a spiritual thing. It's that sort of like the Native American take on the Sasquatch. And that makes, I mean, that makes a lot more sense tied into the whole fairy myth mythos because there's a lot of other things that are real similar between them as well. Um, you know, the vanishings, the mischievous behavior, the yeah. pretty much everything other than the description of how they look. Another thing would be like rock throwing. Like, I mean, isn't there some things in fairy lore about fairies throwing rocks or casting stones or that kind of thing? I'm not but, sure. And that's a big thing in, in, in Sasquatch lore now. It's like they throw, apparently they throw rocks at people. Well, you you saw uh, you saw that article recently that's been circulating about um, chimpanzees keeping rock collections, right? No, I haven't. What's up with that? They they have like their little sacred trees that they all go and like collect around and they and they just they get like shiny pebbles and stuff that they like they find in the woods and they just they honestly like they uh put it That's inside awesome. of a tree trunk and collect them. It's like wow. Early religion. Yeah. Like, it's weird. That is a ama- that that is pretty amazing. And, yeah. and, and uh they they were like observe they were observing the behavior and um they saw that whenever they would approach the tree that they were like looking around for, to see if any other chimps were around. Hmm. So there we go. Maybe we're not the only creatures on this planet that have mm-hmm. some kind of religious impulse or some kind of yeah. impulse to seek God. I and mean, that's, that's, that's fascinating. And, you know, one of the things too, about all this stuff, um, is a tie in to just regular religious experience. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Betty Andreessen. She is uh, still alive, and she's a has these alien abduction experiences and these alien contact experiences. But a lot of her stuff that she talks about is real is filtered through her through her Christian faith. But there's so much in there, like she describes seeing this this phoenix with these beings and all this kind of religious iconography, and all it there's. There's a link there, I think, between these altered states of consciousness and what is basically religious experience. And, you know, I really see this, these manifestations that have been going on that we've talked about so much on this show as being just the latest version of all that. You know, I mean, the, it's, to me, it's not the nuts and bolts spacecraft. It's it's a whole lot more. 
And it's a whole lot more important to unwrap and kind of explore all this stuff. Right, man. And I, I think that the further technological advancements we make combined with, it seems like people are, as a whole in general, are becoming maybe a bit more spiritual too by escaping like the confines yeah. of their religions and stuff and starting to think outside of the box. So like as like science and, and the spirituality converges, well, you know, we, we keep coming upon the greater truth and like get closer to it. Have you noticed a, uh, this kind of resurgence of psychedelics in modern culture? Um, like you had the, like the big psychedelic explosion in the sixties, obviously with LSD, but now you're seeing things like DMT and was it Salvia? These kind of these kind of experiences are, and psilocybin have become very popular again. Yeah, I didn't know they these ever, ideas. I'm just not ever aware that they went away. Well, I don't think they ever went away, but you seem like you hear more and more about it, and people are more and more experiencing or are expressing ideas about these things now than <laughs> than they were. 10 years it's, ago. It seems to be a bit more accepted now too. Yeah. It's oh. more accepted. Maybe. I, I, I don't know. I think I started hanging out around with a circle. Like it was real heavy into it real early on. So I've just been around it for 25 years. Right. Like, I, I don't know. For I, you, nothing changed. Right. Nothing, nothing new yeah. is, or emerged or whatever. But, but definitely, you know, I, I, I can say, you know, somebody that that's not done that stuff that, you know, you you heard about it, like you heard about it as being, like I said, a big deal in the '60s, and then all of a sudden, just just nothing for a while. And then in the last few years, there's been a resurgence of that. And especially, I think a lot of it has to do with this whole resurgence, the whole idea of people discovering ayahuasca has kind of become kind of a trendy thing, even though it's kind of extremely expensive to go and do it now. Well, you heard what Adam Allenboss talked about how you could get the the circles to come to you here in the states. Yeah. But who oh, knows yeah. how much that would cost? It's, it's still a lot of money, I'm sure. And like, that's the thing. I mean, you you got you have to have money in order to uh to experience these kind of things, at least like as far as like ayahuasca is concerned. And maybe mushrooms would be something different obviously, but Yeah. Well, I think we're going to leave it there. Uh this has been a marathon. Like I said, we've uh We've yeah, we've covered a lot of ground today. Uh, we recorded earlier today, as I mentioned before, an interview with Mark Anthony Wyatt. That is actually going to be the next show that is going to be that is going to post. So this is episode one thirteen. I believe that's going to be one fourteen. If I'm yeah, if I'm correct. No, wait. This right. is this will be one. <laughs> I think this will be uh, whatever. I give or know. take an episode. You're I, pretty I know, close. Yeah, give or give or take. Right. So that's going to that's gonna post later on. And in a couple of weeks, we will have uh, Scotty Roberts and hopefully Dr. John Ward on. And we are going to eventually try to do our interview with Dr. Timothy Furnish about Islam, which will be also fascinating. That's coming up in May. So, guys, also, don't forget to check out the Leisure Hour. Uh, and Rob can give you that information right now. Yeah, it's uh, Nashville's new comedy podcast uh, with a bunch of local comedians. You can check it out at ourleisure.com. It's H-O-U-R-L-E-I-S-U-R-E.com and follow us on Facebook. And get your daily affirm your weekly affirmations from yeah, Jeff. Yeah, Jeff will make you feel real good about yourself. Yep, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. I want to thank you everybody for being here. Thank Joshua Cutchin. And thank you, Luke, for 
coming to the show. And thanks for being you, buddy. being a keen part. I love you guys. (laughs) Oh, by the way, when I went outside a little bit before, I saw a shooting star. That was pretty cool. Nice. So, so for the for the record, I, I it must sent be. that for you, Adam. Thank you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you sent your little fairy, your little fairy Tinkerbell. So, all right, guys, thanks for joining us on Conspiranormal Red Knight. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line 
prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.